You can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9, but we're also going to be going through chapter 10 and verse, or in chapter 11. Um, so in saying that, I want to explain something to you. So this week, we weren't planning on going through all that. Uh, you may have noticed that we didn't have uh, the midweek video and the recommended reading posted that we typically do, and that's because as I was going through it, I just realized that I thought it was all something we needed to talk about in a sermon. So this sermon is going to be a little different than typically how I, um, at least for how I prepare sermons, hopefully for you, it doesn't feel all of that different. Um, so we're looking at the whole story of Saul becoming king. Now with that, I want to preface because there are two Sauls that are really well known in the Bible. Um, I want to kind of clarify who we're talking about. So Saul, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. Does that narrow it down? No, because both the Sauls that we think about are both from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, what about, okay, so he was going on a journey and he was called to do something radically different while he was on that journey. No, that was both of them as well. Um, and then actually, what about this? Both of their callings of what they were called by God to do dealt specifically with outsiders. That's both of them as well. So what, basically what I want you to understand here, obviously we know we're talking about the Old Testament, King Saul, the first king of Israel, but you'll see some striking parallels as we go through to the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. So in this story of Saul becoming king, we're going to see a lot about who God is. And one of the things that you'll see in Scripture and you'll see in your life around you is that oftentimes we see glimpses of who God is in what He's doing among people and in people that are serving Him. We see imperfect pictures oftentimes, right? So we see these ideas in, in marriage. God uses marriage to describe His relationship and His love for His people. He talks about how He's our Father. There's all these things that He uses that we understand to give us a picture of who He is. And through this story of Saul becoming king, we're going to see many pictures and many images of who God is and His nature and what He's like. So that's what we're going to journey through in just a few moments. Before we start this story, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. We thank You for this time that we have to gather together to, to look at Your Word, to look at what we can learn from the story of Saul, this man that You have ca had, had called to be the first king over Israel, over your people, Lord. We, we pray that you'll be with us. We pray that you will help us to see who you are. You'll help us to follow you and to respond accordingly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you remember last week, we started, or we, we looked at the story uh, of when the people of Israel came to Samuel and said, your sons don't follow God the way that you do. We want a king like all the rest of the people. Samuel said that's evil. We saw that in his sight as being evil. But God said they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. Give them a king. And so God gives them a king. So it starts in chapter 9 looking at this story or, or this man. It uh, really starts talking about this man named Kish who was a wealthy Benjamin, Benjaminite man. And he had a son. 1 Samuel 9, 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a young man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. 
From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of his people. What an introduction. What a way to be introduced in the Bible. There's this guy named Saul, right? He's the son of Kish, most handsome man in Israel. So handsome they had to say it twice. He was a handsome young man, more handsome than anyone else, and a shoulder, from his shoulders up, he was taller than everyone else. When you think of a king, when, when we see God's faithfulness through this, they ask for a king, God gave them a king. When you think of a king, what do you think of? Majestic, powerful, strong, a leader. In every way that they conceive of, the best looking, the tallest, I would assume he's powerful as well. We know that he will be when the Lord equips him. But when they asked for a king, he gave them what they expected in a king. And so we see God's faithfulness. Despite their abandonment of God, he gives them the king they are likely envisioning. That's what we saw last week, that God will give you the desires of your heart. He gave them a king, even though the king will be disastrous for the people of Israel. Because they've rejected the true king over them. The, the one true king, God, as their king. He gives them the king they're envisioning. He comes from a good family, a wealthy family. What we learn from this is that when we are faithless, God is faithful. It's the embodiment of what we see in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny himself so this this man that that they that God has raised up to be their king is God's fulfillment of what they have asked for he goes above and beyond God could have called the first king to be an outright disaster but he gives them someone they would want to follow we serve a God who is faithful beyond the point of comprehension. Even though we desert Him, even though we go our own way, even though we do things, we desire things that are contrary to who He is, He bears with us in love. He is patient with us. He blesses us when we do not deserve it. Every day we awake is a blessing from God. How many times in your life can you think of where God was patient with you? He was with you through these times of rebellion. He was with you through these times of unfaithfulness where you should have been following Him, but you weren't. You chased after what you wanted rather than Him. But despite all of that, God was faithful to you and gave you the things that you didn't deserve, but that you needed. Right? It's the whole story of Batman, right? You ever heard that saying, Batman... It's, not the, the, it's the, the hero that, that Gotham needs, not the one it deserves. That's kind of what this is saying. They need a good king. They don't deserve one because of the rebellion. God gave them the ideal king, ideal in, in every physical way, even though they didn't deserve one. So what's Saul doing in this story? Really, all, all we've done so far is he's just been introduced. So what's he doing? Saul is going with one of the young men, one of his servants, to look for some donkeys of his father. He's going on a journey. He's going to look for some donkeys. They look everywhere. They go through all the land. I think they've been gone for probably about three days, and they can't find them. So um, here's, what Samuel, here, here's, what, here's what we pick up in the story. First Samuel chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. When they came to the land, as if Saul said to his servant who is with him, Let us go back 
lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, so his servant saying to Saul, Behold, there's a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor, and all that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. So here we see here, uh, a man that's not even named in the Bible gives Saul some very good advice. We have a problem, let's go talk to this man of God. Where do you go for advice in your life? Where do you go when, when you have needs in your life? What do you turn to? Now, there's people in this world that their entire life revolves around what their horoscope says about them. Well, this month it's saying something bad's going to happen to me, so I ought to be very careful. Well, this month something good's going to happen, so I'm looking for something good to happen in my life. Do you go to your family? Do you go to your friends? Co-workers? Are you getting advice from people who are leading you toward God or away from God? It's very important. Are you trusting in your own power? From Saul and his servant, we can learn that when we face issues, we should take it to the Lord. There's nothing too small. Kish was a wealthy man. Do you think losing his donkeys was that big of a deal? It was big enough to send his son after, but not big enough that his son wouldn't return home empty-handed. When you have any issues, you should take it to the Lord. You should take it to your Christian brothers and sisters who are going to lead you to the Lord. And I want you to also know I am always here for you, to talk with you. That's, in my opinion, that's the main reason that, that I, I keep office hours. There are times when people will come in and say, I'm really sorry to bother you. Don't say that. I am here for you. I'm here to help you, to give you advice, to help guide you in any way that I can. There will be times where I'll fall short. There will be times where my advice maybe won't help you very much. There will be times where all I can do is listen. But I'm here for you in any way that I can help you. So they decide to go see Samuel. They get some directions from people along the way, and they're headed to find him. And in this part of the story is where we see God's sovereignty. So we've looked at God's faithfulness and how he's faithful to his people to, to raise up a king for them. But we see how he is sovereign in this process. 1 Samuel nine fifteen through 16. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. So I want you to approach for a moment with me this story from a place of ignorance. So we, we've, you can read the whole story. You see what's going on. You, you know, I've already told you, Saul becomes king. He becomes the first king of Israel. But I want you to imagine, place yourselves for a moment in the place of the two people we see in this story, Samuel and Saul. If you're Saul, what are you doing? You're going to look for some donkeys. You can't find the donkeys. You heard about a man of God. You're in the same city. Why not go ask him about it? Okay, that's what you're doing. If you're Samuel, what, are, what have you been told? There's a man who will be my prince. So notice that. We'll get to that later. He's going to be my prince over Israel. And he's coming to you tomorrow. So what do we see? Two people have very different perspectives about this meeting that's about to happen. 
Saul is just out looking for his dad's donkeys. And Samuel is headed for an encounter that God has established. I will send you a man, or I'm sending you a man. God is sending this person to him. And this is where we get to this idea of sovereignty. What does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty simply means that God is in control over all things. He has authority and power to do what he pleases. Now, not coincidentally, because God is sovereign, this Wednesday night is when we are looking at the idea of God's sovereignty in the book that we've been going through. So if you want to go deeper with this idea, come this Wednesday night, we're going to go deeper into the idea of God's sovereignty. So what does it mean in this situation? In the midst of the apparently mundane and perhaps annoying, right? Would you want to spend your time looking for donkeys when you have other things to do? In the midst of those circumstances, God is working powerfully. Saul sets out to do one thing, but God has other intentions for this journey. He's, he's setting out to look for donkeys and walks into a kingship. Because this accomplishes the will and purpose of God. Samuel is told the Lord is sending him someone who will be the king. It is God's intention that Saul would come to Samuel. So how did God send Saul? There's, there's ways you could think through this. Did God cause the donkeys to run off? Perhaps. They've been found by the time this story ends. That's one way to think. We don't know that. Did God cause the young man to know about the prophet? Did he place that into his mind? Was there a, we don't, we're not told that. But what we do know is that in his sovereignty, God is over all. He's so much bigger than we are. When we make choices, when we do things, we are unaware of how they will affect others or how others will respond. Have you ever had that moment where you want to talk to someone about something, you want to do something, but you're just like, I don't know how they're going to take it. I don't know what, how they're going to react. I don't know what their response is going to be if I do this thing. The reason is we don't know. But God is sovereign. He is over all. God is not confined by that. God's willing and working in situations is perfectly sovereign even over his free creature's decisions. I want you to understand that. Saul is doing what he is choosing to do. He is free in this situation. But God is working in and through what Saul is choosing to do. Saul freely chose to go to Samuel and God intended that he would do so. This is where it gets a little beyond us. Because how does that work? If I know what someone's going to do, if I can intend for someone to do something, do they have much choice in the matter? No. Because either because because we are not sovereign over all. And so Saul willingly went to Samuel, and God intended that he would do so. Both things are working together in this story. And again, we see this parallel. Saul, the Benjaminite, goes on a journey. Saul, the Pharisee, the Benjaminite, goes on a journey for very different purposes, but they have an intention. And on this journey, they meet God. Through slightly different means, but they meet God on this journey. 
So what we can take from this is that God can and will work in ways that we cannot imagine when we are not expecting it. Think through your life when you've had your most life-changing encounters. When, when you've met someone that changed your life. Think about when you met your spouse or your best friend or, or someone else. Was it a very special day? Did you plan that day to meet your spouse? Did you plan that day to meet that person? Was it this moment as though movies are made about where everything is lining up or were you just doing something normal? Oftentimes, you're doing something normal when your life changes. That's what happened here with Saul. And that's often how God will work in our lives. I want to share with you briefly part of the story of how I met Jada. Now, if, if I've told you this story before, you, you know that I met her and forgot her three times. Listen, it was dark every single time we had those conversations. It was Two of them were in movie theaters, and one was at a, a Christian camp we were both working, and I just don't remember them. I feel bad. Um, but the day that we actually met, I guess you could say, the where I remembered it, um, we were both working in this Christian camp for, for youth, and we were both older than youth, so... We were kind of working as adult chaperones, although that was an interesting thing, because we were both freshmen in college. And as a freshman in college, you can either be a youth still, or you can be an adult chaperone. And so I was an adult table leader, and she was a youth table leader. And so that was interesting, even though we were the same age. Um, and I was giving a talk, and there's this talk called the Single Life Talk, where you are sharing with people the purpose God can have in your singleness. Because oftentimes in the church, you're growing up and you hear about uh, how God wants to use you in your life. And, and you often think about that being in the future, right? There's some youth in here. It's easy to think about, well, one day when I get older, I can serve God. No, God can start, use you now. And one of those caveats people often think is one day when I get older and when I get married and have a family, then God can use me. The purpose of this talk was to say, right where you're at, you should honor God with how you live as a single person. And single means not married in this talk. And you should also not wait until later to, to think about that. You shouldn't also depend on your happiness through a relationship, right? And so at this point in my life, I hadn't been in a relationship for quite a while, and about a year or so, and I was like, even if I never, I was previewing my talk this day, you had to preview them, and, and I previewed it and I said at the end of it, even if God never brings me a wife, I will serve him faithfully. That very night, I met Jada. And so it was kind of almost as though God was saying, you need to be able to say that in front of people, and then you're going to meet her. I was not expecting that that day. You may not have expected to come to church today and to be challenged or confronted with whether you need to follow God in a certain way or not. You may meet someone tomorrow that God calls you to share the gospel with. Every day, in the mundane, God is working. So what can we take from it? We can take peace that as you walk through your life, God is in control. Isn't it, isn't it a good thing to know that you can't mess up the plans of God? You can't thwart what God's doing. You're just not that powerful. You're not that strong. Now what you can do is if you live disobediently and you refuse to do what God calls you to do, 
you might not be a part of the wonderful things he's doing. If you refuse to share the gospel, do you think you will be a part of helping lead people to Christ? No. How's that work? They need to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So in the middle of your everyday life, God might interject you, interject and allow you to be used by him for his glory. In doing so, your life and the life of others will be changed. But again, remember that you are accountable for your actions. Even though God is sovereign, but you are still free. And you are responsible for the decisions you make. Whether you walk in obedience or disobedience, we should walk in obedience. So, he comes to meet Samuel. And Samuel and Saul talk. And Saul said, the first thing he says is, hey, are you the man of God? Or do you know where he's at? He said, Yes, I'm him. Hey, don't worry about the donkeys. All Saul said, do you know where the man of God is? And, and Samuel says, don't worry about the donkeys. They've been found. Clearly, they're talking to the right person. He said they've been found uh, about three days ago. Aren't phones very convenient? Samuel, or Saul keeps wandering around looking for these donkeys, although there were other intentions for this journey even though they'd already been found. So they eat together, and the very next day is when we see the importance of God's calling. The importance of God's calling. 1 Samuel 10.1 Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, kissed him and said, has, the Lord not an, has, the, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So Saul is anointed king. Even though we notice the phrasing and the use of the word prince. Why, does, why is that important? What is Saul supposed to do? To be the under king to the one true king. If you saw the, the, the title slide, the, the little letters were intentional. Long live the king. Saul's little K, king lowercase, serving the higher one true king. He is still supposed to be subject to the high king, the Lord, to, to lead them and protect them from outsiders, to be a king, to be the protector that they've asked for, but God is establishing a king that is more righteous than what they've envisioned. That's his intention for this. King Saul has been called to protect them from outsiders. Again, we see this parallel. What does the apostle Saul called to do in the New Testament? To be a missionary, an apostle to the Gentiles, to the outsiders. Saul in the Old Testament protecting from the outsiders while Saul in the New Testament is bringing outsiders into the fold. So we need to be aware of God's calling in our life. It would be nice if it was so specific in our lives as though we're on a journey and we run into a guy and he anoints us with oil and says, hey, here's what you're going to do. I think we would all like that. Oftentimes, we want that clarity and direction in our life. The most specific place we see, the most clear place we see, and perhaps for you that is today, be saved. The first calling that every Christian, every person who follows God must respond to is the calling to be saved, to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you've been going through your life trying to live a good life, be a good person, do things on your own, 
This is the Lord telling you, repent and believe. There is no other way than through the blood of Jesus to be saved. Nothing you can do, nothing I can do, nothing anyone else can do for you, but to believe in what Jesus has done for you. That's the first calling all Christians are called to. And then there's the calling to specific action and purpose through which we must be faithful in our calling. We've talked about this recently. Calling to serve in particular ways. Callings to ministry. Calling, uh, callings to, to be missionaries. What are we called to? One of the most beautiful things, and this is something I was reminded of yesterday, is that when we are called by God, we can take courage in that. So what do I mean by that? Sometimes it can be discouraging when you're serving God. It can be. If you, if you have in your own mind, in your own heart, this, this vision for what you want to see take place, and it doesn't happen the way you think it's going to happen. Have you ever had that? Have you ever wanted something or God to move in a particular way? And it just doesn't quite happen like that. Now I want, you to, be, I want to be clear, this isn't I'm not talking about things that God calls to you or says for you to do, but, but sometimes you just get discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged? Burnt out? There, there has been times in my ministry in, in years past where there was one place where I was like, I don't know if this is what I need to do anymore. And thankfully, it was actually Patrick that, that was here on mission the mission team that came from Elizabethtown, I called him, I said, this is kind of where I'm at. I don't know if I need to do this anymore. And he said, what are you talking about? Are you called by God or are you not? That is what we need to hold to. We are not expected to provide results. We are not expected to do things in and of ourselves, we are called to be faithful to God. And so as you serve in whatever role that you feel that God has called you to, and there's some roles that are given to you as a, as a parent, as a grandparent, a friend, these roles we, we step ourselves into, Sunday school teacher, deacon, wherever you may be, if God, if God has called you there, and you feel discouraged because you don't see the results you would have liked to have seen, That's not what you are called to do. God has called you to be faithful. So that's the thing to look at. If you're discouraged, are you being faithful to what God has called you to? Because that is all that He asks us to do. Who is the one that provides the results? God. God is the one that moves in and among us and through our faithfulness in our calling. We also must remember that we need to be focused on our calling. We are not Saul. It's very fun, and we're going to get to a story that we all like to identify with, and I think it's a week after next, with David and Goliath. We like to be the person in the story. Right? When you read books growing up, you like to be or identify with the main character. Now, there are similarities. God will call us and use us and work in our lives like He does in Saul's life. But when you read this and you look at this story, God's not calling you to be the king of, of Israel. And that's pretty clear. 
It's not a promise that He'll work in your life or show up in your life exactly the way He does here. But you, so that's why you need to be concerned with your calling. I need to be concerned with my calling. And so what I mean by that is when you look at other people living in their calling and you see, wow, I wish I could do that. It's not for you unless the Lord calls you to it. Don't be concerned with trying to be like someone else. Focus on what God has called you to do. We should not seek to live as others live, but we should be attentive on how God is calling us to live in our life. So in this story, Samuel tells Saul all the signs that would take place when he departs, when he leaves, concluding with this statement in 1 Samuel 10, 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. This clearly shows God's transformation. So he told him what was going to happen. He was going to meet these people, and he was going to be turned into another man. So we pick up 1 Samuel 10, 9 through 13. When he turned his back to leave God, or to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And the man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he finished prophesying, he came to the high place. So it is clear from this story and all throughout the Bible, that when we encounter God in a real way, we will be transformed by it. We will not be the same. What we see in Saul is something that is fairly rare in the Old Testament. It's something to remember and to understand. In the Old Testament, God dwelt among His people. He was actively moving among them. And so they were not all filled with the Holy Spirit. All the people of Israel were not filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that's pretty clear from their decision-making skills on often abandoning God. Saul was, as were often the prophets, Moses, these people that were leaders in Israel. New covenant believers, those who have believed in Jesus, should expect this transformation, right? What do we see? What does it talk about? When he left Samuel, God gave him a new heart. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the people who, who said to him, is this, what, who is this? They said, all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied and said, what has come over him? So as New Testament believers, as people who are in the New Covenant following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, here's what we can expect. If you have been saved, if you encounter God, you will be, you must be born again. This idea of a new heart Right? Paul talks in 1 Corinthians of a, being a new creation, the old passing away, the new having come. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now when I say that, I'm not saying that you're going to begin to prophesy or that you're going to speak in tongues as some people. That's not a necessary sign of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you should be filled with it. Newness of life. And this transformation is seen in the life of both Saul's. 
To take it even further, what do they both do? They meet God, and what's the first thing they do when they're able to? They go and speak about Him. Saul in the Old Testament goes to prophesy with other prophets, and the Apostle Paul goes to preach in the synagogues about what God has done. We too should experience this. The old should pass away, the new should come. We should turn from our sin and seek after the Lord. All who know what knew us previously should see the change in our life. I want you to think about that. People who knew you before you knew Christ, can they look at you and say, well, what's so different about them? What, what is, is this the same person? You know, I, I know people and I, I've interacted with people that they're a little ashamed to be around people they used to know. Right? It's more of an older, it's not really a saying people use anymore, but I remember uh, seeing it in movies or reading books about it. Like, oh, so-and-so has got religion. This idea that these people you used to be around will judge you or look at you differently because you now follow Christ. Good. If the people you used to walk with are no longer Christians, they should see a difference between you and them. And the prayer should be, your, your witness should be, the Lord has changed my life. And He can do the same for you. If that evidence does not exist, that is concern for us to, to follow in obedience or to question whether we have truly encountered Christ to begin with because transformation is a result of encountering God. Now this new transformation did not make Saul perfect. So he goes back and he encounters his uncle and he says, hey, what, tell me everything that happened to you. And he did not tell him fully what happened to him. He didn't tell him the part about becoming king. He just told him he talked to Samuel. So then Samuel calls all the people, to get, people together and says, hey, you said you want a king. God's giving you a king. Even though you did this wicked thing and you asked for a king, he's going to give you one. And when it comes time for Saul to make himself known, he initially doesn't do it. He's hiding among the baggage. That's what it says. And then he finally, they find him. He comes out. And it says he stands a, a head taller than all the people. That's what we see here. 1 Samuel 10, 24. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king. So they have their king that God has given to them. But it says in verse 27, But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present but he held his peace. So very quickly after this, Saul is going to be given the opportunity to prove himself. He would have to show that through him, Israel would experience God's deliverance. Through Saul's actions, we see God's deliverance. So the very next chapter, starting in chapter 11, Nahash the Ammonite took over Jabesh-Gilead and, and the people ask for a treaty. So they have been taken over by Nahash. And his treaty that he proposes to them is that they would all have to gouge out their right eye so that Israel would be disgraced. Word of this comes to Saul as they're given the seven days to wait for this. Word of this comes to Saul, and here's his response. When, when Saul hears about this, 1 Samuel 11, 6-7, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul, 
when he heard these words. And his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. And so immediately, Saul is showing his leadership through the influence of God of the people of Israel to stand against the enemies of Israel as God said that he would. And it's in the moment of victory that we see Saul demonstrate God's grace. We see Saul demonstrate God's grace. So they've been victorious. And in 1 Samuel eleven twelve through 15, as they're celebrating their victory, we see this. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Remember those worthless fellows that said, But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So the people... This is where we see pictures of God's grace and how He responds to us through those who follow Him. The people wanted to put to death those who doubted Saul. And at this time and in this world and in this way of life, that would have been a normal thing to expect. If you've opposed the king and then the king shows himself to be who he is, well then, you're the enemy of the king. And you'll meet the fate of the rest of the king's enemies. You'll be put to death. That was a reasonable way for them to think, that they were guilty of something. But what does Saul say? We're not doing that. That's not what we're going to do today. No one's going to be put to death today because the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. The Lord has worked salvation in Israel. He gives grace to those who have wronged him because he realizes God's grace to his people. And as we live in our lives, we must remember the grace that has been given to us. Like the people of Israel, we chase after things other than God. We have chosen sin over God. God was faithful to us while we were faithless. While they wanted a king and rejected the one king, he was faithful to them. While we have gone our own way and chased after other things, he was faithful to us. And in the face of our undoing, of the judgment and the punishment that sin would bring, we've been given given salvation through Jesus. In, In the face of Israel's undoing, because of their enemies coming against them, God worked salvation in Israel. In the face of our undoing, God has worked salvation through Jesus, taking our sins. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so now, while we interact with those who have wronged us, we must remember the Lord's salvation. We can't condemn our enemies. God is the one who judges. We must remember what Christ has done for us in all things. Christ must be central to how we live our lives if we want to honor Him in how we live. 
We must daily put the work of Christ forefront in our minds and remind ourselves of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We remember what Christ has done for us. Because we see here an example of Saul being a good king. Oftentimes when we think about Saul, we think about what comes next week. Where the Lord rejects Saul very quickly after Saul becomes king. Why? Because Saul went after his own ways. Forgot to be obedient to the Lord. And so if we want to take from Saul's example here, his good example, what do we do? We must remember always what the Lord has done for us. We must remember His salvation. And it's for this reason that in a few moments we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Before we do that, we're going to have a time of invitation. And so what I want to invite you to do are are, are two things. If you don't know the Lord this morning, if you are an enemy of the Lord because of your sin, if you are walking your own way trying to to justify yourself, you've never made a decision to repent and believe and accept the free gift of salvation that's available through Jesus, today is the day to be saved, to turn from your sin and to follow after the one who has saved you. And if you've already done that, today is a day to remember what the Lord has done. To remember what Jesus did for you. How His blood was shed for you. How His body was broken for you so that you may be made right with God. And during this time of invitation, it's a time to reflect and to make sure that your heart is right with God. I want to share with you what comes after what we typically read, what we'll read when we observe the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a time to make sure that you are right with the Lord. This is a time to remember what you've been saved from, what this represents, the body and blood of Christ going to the cross for your sins, and to reflect and to examine whether you are walking in in a worthy manner. Are you showing others the grace that you've been given so freely? Are you walking in newness of life with Him or pursuing lesser things? During this time of invitation, respond to the Lord in salvation if you do not know Him. Or use this time to examine your heart before we have this time where we remember what He's done for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. I thank You for this time that we 
have to come together and to just look at the example of your servant Saul. And Lord, though we know what comes for him in this and the example we shouldn't follow in the future, Lord, we, we pray that you will help us to see what we can learn from the way that he walked with you faithfully here. That we will be aware and subject to your sovereignty, that we will see your faithfulness, that we will, be, we will listen to your calling, that we will give grace like you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you would be with us during these moments of this invitation, Lord, that if there's anything with, within us where we need to take it before you, that we would. Lord, if there are any who do not know you, I, t- I pray today would be the day that they would move in response to how you're calling them today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.